Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nudds. Today, I am joined by two guests in the studio who barely need any introduction whatsoever. We have our returning guest, Mike France of Christopher Ward, and the man, the myth, the legend himself, Roger Smith of Roger W. Smith Watches. How are you, gentlemen? Welcome to the studio. All very good, thank you. Yeah, very well. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. Good to be here. Good to be here. Mike, you know, this is your third appearance on the show now, isn't it? At least. Uh, I think it might be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. You're becoming a swingman host. Do you want to take the mic sometime and interview some other people for us? We'd appreciate it. I think you might regret that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, already feeling by the tone of that voice that I definitely would. Okay, so thanks for coming back again. (laughs) Offer rescinded. Uh, The reason why we have you two together today, which may to people that aren't, within Britain or aware of what's going on in British watchmaking seem like a odd pairing is that you two are behind the foundation of the Alliance of British watch and Clockmakers, which is a rapidly expanding group of brands that, and makers, I suppose as well, that are producing interesting timepieces and really bringing the whole culture of British watchmaking to a level that it certainly hasn't been at for many, many years. So let's start maybe with Roger. Could you tell us a little bit about the motivations that went into the formation of the Alliance? And then we'll ask Mike to tell us what the goals are for the group. I mean, I've been sort of quietly making watches for a number of years now and uh, feeling, you know, gradually as the years have gone by sort of feeling that a lot more was happening in British watchmaking that perhaps was being spoken about in the media and um, so on. And um, I remember bumping into Mike on several occasions at um, Salon QP. And we were talking about the trade, the current state of the trade. And, you know, um, I remember on one occasion our conversation sort of went over to you know towards what is happening or what we felt was happening in Britain and that perhaps it wasn't really being re- represented uh, by the media and the current horological bodies, uh, British horological bodies. So I've been thinking about it for a number of years and I said to Mike, I said, well, should we do something about it? Should we set up a body, a go- you know, an alliance or something to try and shine a light on this and Mike said yes so that was the start of it (laughs) (laughs) very easy very easy conversation uh I'll you know sort of thoughts have always been very aligned on this and it just seemed like a very natural um thing to do between us both uh we both coming from very different worlds um but I think that's to our strength and um you know to the strength of the alliance and what we're trying to achieve today. Most definitely. How exactly did you two meet? I think it was through Salon QP, wasn't it, Mike? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Many years ago, I came to uh, listen to you, I think, um, speak at one of the Salon QPs. And um, I, I possibly, <laughs> I can't remember precisely, but I remember showing you, um, I, I proudly showed you um, uh, Calibre SH21. That's it. Um, yeah. Which uh, we developed and... Um, you were kind enough to say a few kind words about it, but it, it was always an easy conversation. I felt, um, despite as you, as Roger says, we come from a very, very different sort of backgrounds, and our our two businesses are 
in some ways pulls apart but actually there's, there was always a synergy wasn't there between us Roger there was always an empathy and, yes. and, a, and, a, and an easy understanding and uh, uh, when the the man the myth the legend that is Roger Smith says why don't we do something you don't say no do you so um, it, it was a, it was a pretty easy it was a, it was a pretty easy decision to make um, uh, and it but it was just a shared view that um, as Roger says that there was a lot going on in British watch and clock making that wasn't really being best represented at that time mm. by what we were looking at at that particular last Salon QP. And um, mm. um, that was the sort of uh, the genesis of the idea, really. Very nice. I remember meeting Roger at Salon QP once. I'm sure Roger doesn't remember it. It was eight years ago, but, you know, it was very <laughs> enjoyable for me. Anyway, I had a great time. Thanks, Roger. And um, I remember it well. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I've actually got a great picture of us. I, I've got that on my uh, wall in the workshop. Oh, good. Yeah, of course. Gold frame right in the middle. It's a highlight of your career, I'm sure. He refers to it all the time, Rob. I mean, you can't shut him up about it. It was a <laughs> yeah. big, big moment for Roger, as I recall, Roger, wasn't it? I mean, it was just a, another day in the life for me, whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> only the finest watchmaker of his generation. Yeah, who cares? Who cares? Um, I, I used to work for Swatch, by the way, so whatever, you know. Coaxial statement, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, lovely symmetry there, Roger. Nice one. Uh, so a bit of self-aggrandizing apart. Uh, let me move back to the subject of the conversation. You both, of course, and your efforts to raise the tide of British watchmaking internationally and to capitalize on the wealth of diversity within the industry now that despite, as you as you both mentioned, coming from different parts of it, having the same goal, I imagine, to get the profile of British watchmaking out there and to shine a light on the creativity and the activity that's taking place within the country. Mike, how successful do you feel that's been so far since you founded the Alliance? Do you think that media outlets are picking up on the vast experimentation that's happening right now in British watchmaking? Um, well, I mean, this is a, probably a good example. Um, I mean, three years ago, we wouldn't have been having this chat, um, you know, about uh, the British watch industry. Um, and, and yes, I, I think, you know, to varying degrees, I think since, uh, since, uh, we started, which is only sort of, um, two years or so, I think there has been a, a huge increase in interest in what's going on in uh, British watch and clock making. And, you know, to the point that, um, I remember, um, last, um, last October in New York at uh, the wind up fair, um, the Warren and Wound Boys um, had a whole segment of the show devoted to the Brits are coming. Um, and again, I think one of the things, Roger, we found when we sort of started this, we, we, we had no idea ourselves how many brands were around. We knew there were some very interesting people doing some really encouraging and interesting things. But firstly, we had no idea whether anybody would, be as interested in, in in promoting the sector as we were and we really didn't know how big the sector was um so um, the fact that we identify were able to identify a sector um uh, was was a big step forward and i think as roger will tell you um you know the, the scale of it shocked us a little bit roger didn't it it did i mean i think we were having sort of quite bets on the side didn't we as to how many people you know, major joiners, and I think was it almost twenty twenty five when we, you know, within the first couple of days, yeah, yeah, as trade I think members, that's right, yeah, and yeah. we we sort of thought, well, if if we get, 
you know, eight, nine, ten people on board, that will mean that'll be a huge success. Um, and here we are with, I think, 87 trade members on board now, which is taken us all by surprise. Yeah. I think we've just had two alliance, sorry, two trade members join um, last week. And um, this is incredibly exciting and kind of proof that this was needed, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, no, um, absolutely. I mean, we had this sense, as as we've said, that there was something, there was a bit of a renaissance going on. There was a, a lot of smart people sort of doing interesting things, but uh, the scale of it has, um, has shocked us and uh, really pleasantly surprised us. And um, and then the the join, you know, the, the number the numbers joining um, was then sort of. Um, Added to by the enthusiasm that they were showing for um, for mm. the whole fact that there was a sector, and I think it was um, it's one of those occasions when um, you know all of us is uh, is, uh, is smarter than any one of us, and and there's been this incredible sort of sharing of ideas, sharing of knowledge, helping each other out. The the within two years we've gone from a situation where most of us were operating pretty much as islands. Um, you know, maybe with one or two uh, contacts in in the British watch sector, and now there's this huge network going on um, of people sort of interested in each other's brands. Um, as I say, helping uh, other brands out uh, with whatever it is, advice all the way through to movements, etc. So there's, um, which is pretty unusual in 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 any industry sector. I think it's certainly unusual in the uh, the watch industry. I was talking to somebody last week. Um, in Switzerland, um, about um, this very subject, and they were they were saying how they wished um, that there was some there was the same level of camaraderie and um, togetherness in the Swiss industry as as suddenly has appeared in the um, in the British sector. Now, of course, the Swiss industry is a lot bigger, but but you know, um, from small acorns, etc. And um, you know, it, it it's been a it's been a heartwarming and um, and stimulating time the last couple of years. It really has. I can very much imagine. I mean, I hear a great deal of positive feedback from your current members about how convivial the relationship is between them. And it may amaze people. And I'm sure the Swiss brands are gobsmacked by this level of camaraderie because it's so competitive and it's such a, in many ways, saturated market to have people sharing manufacturers, uh, information that, you know, hard won information that takes a long time. It's, it's one thing to start a brand, of course, but then to get it to a point where you have the quality manufacturers on board that are within whatever price point you prefer to operate and contacts that you've had to cultivate over years, then to offer those to, I suppose one would say a de facto competitor is a remarkable thing to have achieved. But the advantage of it, of course, is that it enables all of these brands, some of them massive and some of them extremely small, to operate as one unit, an intimidating unit internationally, actually, because we see the power of the group brands, the major groups like mm. Swatch Group and LVMH mm. and Richemont, and how they have this huge economy of scale on their side. They can parcel up press releases when they need to and send them to the major media outlets and guarantee coverage because they're paying most of them to provide coverage. Now, for the first time 
a nation of watchmakers from all different strata have aligned and are able to move as one beast. It's uh, very exciting for me as a watchmaker who trained in the country myself to see this kind of helping hand extended from brands that, you know, you two are perfect examples. Christopher Ward doesn't need anybody's help. Roger Smith doesn't need anybody's help. You're, You're known and so much so winning awards regularly for your output but to have that prescience of necessity of this kind of alliance is uh yeah heartwarming is the word mike very well said and talking of heartwarming uh, just to touch on a very current issue because this episode will go out soon after the announcements of the gphg have run around the internet we have to congratulate you on winning with the bel canto a <laughs> thank uh, you very much. stunning watch well thank you very much for providing the whole industry with an example of how incredible horology can be made at a very affordable price point 3350 swiss francs it won the petit aiguille prize at the recent gphg awards how do you feel about that what's the response to the bel canto in general well i mean the the response to to the bel canto has been um, been great from the moment we launched it, um, I think it's um, for me. It's uh, it's the story of uh, really f- the story of the Bel Canto is really the story of four young men and um, our um, technical director um, Frank Stelzer, our designers Adrian Bookman and Will Brackfield, and our product manager in Switzerland um, York Bader Junior. I mean, these are the guys who, for close on three years, worked. Um, you know, pretty tirelessly to perfect um, a sonnery passage a watch and not making it not just beautiful but as you say the accessible to um, to as many people as possible which is after all our our mission in life um, and and so uh, you know for their work to be recognized in this way I think is um, you know it's, it's great and uh, I was very I was very proud of them um uh before the award i mean you know i've got a slightly sort of a mixed view about awards and let's remember rudyard kipling here <laughs> but uh, but it, it, i must say uh, knowing as i do the amount of effort that these guys put in um i think it was a a lovely way of um their work being recognized and um i presume it won't do any harm for the sales either but, and i believe we're the first british brand to ever win at gphg um which was a nice touch. I know um, George has been honoured in the past by them, Roger, hasn't he? And um, but I don't yes. think it was kind of in the same. You know, it's George Daniels. That's a different level, isn't it? But as as in in any of the sort of specific categories, I don't. I think we're the first British brand that's ever won. And uh, you know, let's hope it's uh, it's um, it's a sign of the floodgates opening because I think um, I think many uh, British brands will be winning in the future. Yeah, I hope so. I I believe, if memory serves, George won special jury prize in 2016, the George Daniels Educational Mm -hmm. Trust, which was a fantastic thing to get recognized on that stage. But during our GPHG results analysis show, which aired on the 14th of November, we discussed whether or not you might think that the the fact that you won this award now has anything at all, because we know that these juries are quite politically motivated <laughs> with the fact that you now have a presence in Switzerland as well. Um, uh, who knows? I mean, I, 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 
I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not familiar with the politics of uh, the Swiss watch industry. I do know that they exist. Um, <laughs> um, who knows why? I, I, I was really disappointed uh, that in the challenger section, um, Studio Underdog didn't win. My, in my view, they should have done. Um, um, but I'm sure. Richard will be back in the future, as will others, um, and uh, I don't think we can be ignored any longer. And I think I think that's whether we ha- whether we won because we've got a presence in in Switzerland as well as being a British brand. I'd, I have no idea. What I do think is that um, um, you know they are beginning to recognise um, what's happening over here, and if people uh, British brands continue to create fantastic watches um uh, then i think they're, they're they're going to pick up um an increasing number of prizes going forward and i really hope that hope that's the case and maybe maybe as i say we, we we're we're just the sort of um the first one to break down the barrier i think when it comes down to it really the the bel canto was undeniable in that category it it just it stands shoulder to shoulder with even the more expensive watches in that segment, like the Habering, for example, which is a beautiful watch from a respected maker. But when you think about what that category exists for, it just couldn't not have won. I think the Studio Underdog ran into some pretty stiff competition, despite easily being the most affordable and the most uh, Mm -hmm. exciting aesthetically, I would say. I, I don't know if you care to speculate as to why you think it didn't win. Our feelings were it might be because it wasn't a a particularly current model because it was just a, a slight reskin of the original version and that might have harmed it. But have you got any thoughts on that subject? Not, not really. I, 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 I have no idea how and why people um, vote for any watches. <laughs> I mean, I, I know Roger's been a, a juror in the past. Um, and, um, I, I've, it's a mystery to me. And as I say, the, um, the, I won't, uh, I won't lose, um, too much time over it it's uh it's a it's a it's a nice thing to have happened to us and uh, but you know moving you know onwards and upwards i say and uh let's uh you know let's 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 uh keep creating uh, watches that we want to create and that uh, people seem to like and uh, if you get to get an award that's a bonus but it's we don't do it for awards and um um we do it for people who enjoy watches and that's the way it should be, absolutely. Roger, just to dig into the insight of an actual jury member who has voted in this contest before, what were your thought processes? Did you vote for the watches you felt deserved to win or the watches you liked the most for a personal reason or for some other reason? Um, yeah, I mean, I was yeah jury member. I think I was four or five years, maybe five, six years ago. Um, I just did it for a year and... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I went for the watches that I thought genuinely deserved to win an award. Something that uh, watches which interested me as a watchmaker, uh, watches that I felt were contributing to the industry. And I think that that was my sort of main criteria, really. It's very interesting. I think that that's the angle I would try and take myself. And uh, I would like to poll a few jury members and find out exactly what their motivations are behind the votes, because that would be interesting. But um, I'm sure it will always always be a competition that has its surprises within it. Now, we talked about the rarity of independent brands coming together under uh, 
a, the banner of an alliance or working together on a project, especially in Switzerland. In Switzerland, I can only think off the top of my head of one example, certainly recent example, where three brands collaborated on the development of a movement, and that was Singer Reimagined, H. Moser and C, and Fabergé. They collaborated to bring to life a specific type of Agenor chronograph that they all felt they could use within their products. And they shared the research and development costs, which is quite quite rare, I think, certainly mm. more seldom in Switzerland than than we hope it will be in, uh, in Britain now, thanks to the Alliance. And I can well imagine the kind of experience and contacts that both Roger Smith and Christopher Ward could offer to other brands. But how have both of your brands separately benefited from being part of the alliance have you also shared information or had information shared with you from other brands that have changed your processes or manufacturing ideas i think for us i mean we're sort of always on hand to help answer any questions from any uh, trade members should they wish we've had contacts from various people who were inquiring about uh, machinery uh, ways to you know, CNC machinery, we, we bought our first piece in 2005. And so, um, yeah, we, we, we've got a good knowledge of that level of equipment now. And we've managed to help a couple of people in their early stages of thought processes and so on. Um, I, th- I mean, I think that's the thing with the Alliance and you hinted at before, you know, we are here to help and share ideas. And um, for me, there's space for everyone it's a still a very small emerging market and if we can help other people along the way then so much the better and you know the stronger that we can all be um working together you know for a common goal really to build on what's you know really exciting industry go ahead mike give us your response to that one well i mean um similarly really i've, I've been you know Deeply encouraged by the, I'm fascinated by the contacts um, that we've been able to make in the industry um, and people approaching us, um, sometimes asking for, um, for for some advice or whatever, which we're always always happy to give um, if if if, uh, if indeed it's worth having, <laughs> which sometimes it may be, sometimes maybe not. Um, I think one of the the more interesting things is um, um, it's. It, it's given um, Christopher Ward a, a, a profile so that you know people who are in even in manufacturing or potentially trying to get into the manufacture of componentry in the UK have have approached us. Um, I'm thinking of one uh, one individual in particular who has a a deep desire um, to um, create. Um, uh, commercially viable cases in the UK, and um, we have shared a lot of information um, with um, with him. And um, you know, he's uh, we're hopeful that uh, at some point in the future, you know, he will be able to set up a an operation that um, that can um, can produce quality, high quality cases cases at reasonable prices. Um, as Roger says, it's a it's a you know it's a, a fledgling industry really at the moment, um, fast growing, um, and the prime uh, concern is not necessarily to um, or the prime the prime hope in the near term isn't to have a, a huge and burgeoning um, 
watch manufacturing sector. Um, but wherever we can encourage that to happen, and there are bits of it knocking about all over the place now, um, uh, you know, we will we will look to encourage it. And I think the fact that um, the alliance has this profile um, has encouraged people to um, to think about doing things like that. Um, and that's one of the, I think, the real benefits of the alliance and the profile that it has is that there's something around which people can actually cluster now. Um, and and all sectors of all industries require um, a cluster mentality. Ultimately, if they're going to be uh, successful, they need to feed off each other. And it's it's early days, but you know, two years on, um, you know, there are really interesting things going on in the sector. I can very much imagine how rewarding it is when someone hoping to start something like that in Britain, something that would benefit so many of those manufacturers in so many ways, not just the whole British made angle, which is obviously very good from a storytelling perspective, but also the access, the communication, the same language communication, the uh, reduced shipping concerns that are now obviously even more complex than they were a couple of years ago with things coming into the country. But I guess that one of the strengths of the Alliance is that you now have put out into the world um, a big marker point for other brands and aspiring brands to, to look at, to, to flock towards, like you say, to cluster around this idea and to have someone or many people to lean on when they're just taking steps in the early days. I assume, and this is an assumption, so forgive me if it's wrong, that you didn't know all of the brands that have approached you at the time of their initial approach. Is that correct? Yes, that is the case. Um, We've done a lot of research and, you know, we trawl through the internet and um, try to find as many companies as we could. But yes, I mean, there were companies that came out of the woodwork shortly after we launched. You know, this is the interesting thing about what's going on in British watchmaking. You know, we're getting lots of new companies, lots of new startup companies. Not all of them sadly will make it. But, you know, at least we can be here now to help these people and to try and make sure that we have a greater success rate and, um, you know, a common voice and um, ability to get the message across. So it's um, it's just come at the right time. And um, I think another interesting take of all this, um, certainly for me, is that the vast majority, in fact, yeah, probably 99% of these companies are people who've come from outside of a traditional watchmaking background. You know, these are uh, people who are wanting to create new businesses and are obviously attracted to the watchmaking side of things. But I think that's that's to our real advantage, actually. No, I can see how that, that diversity of background is obviously very valuable for everybody. Mm. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about those brands, especially perhaps the ones that you didn't know about before they joined mm. the Alliance, but you've given me the opportunity to segue into your background, because although you are very well known within the industry, and I'm sure within our network, the the crowd we have in our WhatsApp chat group, the Real Time Network, which is the most dedicated listeners 
of the show are desperate to hear your story from the horse's mouth. So you obviously come from a more traditional watchmaking background than many of these makers do. Would you be so kind as to give us a breakdown of where your career started when you knew you wanted to be a watchmaker and the, the process that is now legend that you went through to achieve your goal? Oh gosh, how long do I have? <laughs> well, actually, to be quite precise, you've got 27 minutes max, and I need to squeeze my outro into that, so don't oh, ramble gosh, on too much. Gosh. No, I won't. Try, I won't. try and keep it around 10 or 12 minutes, and I'll, you know, I'll go make oh, a cup of tea. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Mike. Um, <laughs> yes, I mean, I mean, my yes, you're right. I came from a what I was classed as more traditional background. Um, my yeah, my father, he was he was a doctor actually, and. Uh, he, yeah, he sort of pushed me in the direction of watchmaking. Um, why, I don't really know, other than the fact that <laughs> he could see I was more practically orientated than academic. And um, as one of these kids who just drifted through school, not really understanding why he was there. Um, but anyway, thank goodness my father sort of pushed me in this direction. And I remember the first day of college in Manchester was the best day of education I ever had. And I couldn't believe that we were allowed to use lathes and drills and files and saws. And I was away. That was it for me. Um, but the real turning point came when George Daniels visited um, the college one day. He donated a wheel cutting engine uh, to the college and he came to meet the students and the day before he arrived, I didn't know who George Daniels was. Um, somebody said that he was a watchmaker who made watches by hand, but I didn't believe it. I thought, well, that's impossible because for me, all watches, all wristwatches have always been an industrialized process. And, you know, today, the vast majority, that is still the case for the majority of watches being made today. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I, George arrived the day after and all those preconceptions were blown away. Um, he was a remarkable character and he was as much the person as his skill as a watchmaker that sort of really captivated my imagination. Um, and I think for me it was this idea, this crazy idea that one man could design and make a complete watch from start to finish um, as I said, it was just unheard of. And he was this guy who was making a very successful career out of it. And I thought, gosh, you know, one day that's something I would like to do, basically. Um, I was training to be a watch repairer at the time. I was working for, well, actually another trade member of the Alliance. Uh, we all know Neil Duckworth. Duckworth. He was my boss. He was the then importer of Tag Heuer watches into the UK. And I worked for him in his workshop as a repairer. And that was going to be my future um, as a as a repairer of watches. But um, after the Daniels meeting, that's when things changed. And I wanted to focus, decided I wanted to focus more on the making side of it. Am I waffling too much? You, honestly, you can't waffle enough. It's fascinating. Are you sure? Carry <laughs> on. Yeah. Okay, I just feel a bit... Um, you know, monopolizing a bit too much. Anyway, do tell me to shut up whenever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so so the making side, you know, is something that was in the back of my mind from that first meeting with George. Then 
I finished college, went to work at Tagoya, and really I did enjoy it, but I wanted more. I wanted to make a watch, and I wrote to George and asked if he'd apprentice me, and he invited me over to the Alman, where I am today, and he basically said at the end of the day, he said, look, if you want to make a watch, you know, go away and do it yourself. He said, I can't teach you. It's something that you have to be 100% committed to. And, you know, that was that was it. I mean, I was incredibly naive looking back. I remember going home and my father asking how it went. And he, I just regaled the story that, you know, George told me to start and so my father said, well, what are, you, what are you going to do? So I said, well, I'm going to start. And that was it. Not much thought went into it. But then that was the start of, you know, um, yeah, seven and a half years sort of quest to try and make a good wristwatch. Well, sorry, a good pocket watch. And, um, yeah, my father, he lent me some money to buy a lathe, a Shoblin lathe, which was in, is an incredible lathe. We still have it here in the workshop. Use regularly, and um, I set up a small workshop in a partitioned area of um, the garage that we had. Uh, I was still living at home with my parents, and I started making this watch, this pocket watch. And um, that one watch turned into two watches before George eventually said, Well, you know, congratulations, you're a watchmaker. And that was it for me, you know, I was away then. And uh, several months after that, George asked me if I'd move over here to the Alaman to work with him on the Millennium Project. Incredible. What year was that that you moved over to the Alaman? So I was in 98, January the 2nd, 1998. It's ingrained in my, um, it's one of the only dates I ever remember, actually. <laughs> <laughs> So it's been 25 years now on the Isle of Man. How is it to live there? Because sh- I'm sure that most of our listeners have never been to the Isle of Man. I only went once for the TT, you know. Oh, yes. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> uh, that was interesting. Um, but um, what is it like? Because beyond Douglas, it's quite a rural location, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually. It is It is an interesting place. I've just come back from uh, Singapore and Hong Kong. Um and um, those two islands are a similar size to the Alaman. And uh, the Alaman has a population of 85,000, whereas I think Singapore has a population of about four and a half, five million people. So that does give you a good idea as to the differences. Um, yes, it's very rural. It's, um, it's a lovely place, actually. It's phenomenal. I mean, I've always sort of lived in rural areas, um, I was brought up in Bolton and um, on the outskirts of Bolton. And, uh, yes, yeah, so I fitted in very well. And for me, the priority always has been and is watchmaking. And uh, I think I think the Alamans worked to my advantage because, really, I've been outside of the watchmaking world for these this past 25 years Um and I think that's been to my advantage because it teaches you to be self-reliant and creative. And, yeah, I think basically, you know, obviously there are no watchmaking influences other than George Daniels on the Isle of Man. And so that, I think, has been, been to my advantage. 
Well, that's interesting to say, because now, of course, you're part of this alliance, the, one of the founding members of it. You mm. are maybe more exposed to different ideas and new influences more directly as a you know course of daily business than you ever would have been before working away on the masterpieces you create on the Isle of Man. Of the brands that you have in the alliance, which ones maybe surprised you the most? That's not to say that any that you don't mention here aren't also wonderful companies, but which ones did you look at and think, wow, I would never think to do that or would never do it, but it really works for them. It could be something to do with the case design, for example, maybe materials or a use of color, or even maybe something more business oriented in terms of communication or story. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind that you'd like to relay? Um, I mean, there've been many such incidences. I mean, of course, you know, Bell Canto. Bell Canto is an interesting watch. Well done there, Mike. Congratulations. Checks um, in the post, Roger. Yes, good. Thank you. Checks in the post. Uh, <laughs> I think for me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to this event, our first live event in March. And then I'll get the opportunity to meet many of our trade members. Um, but of the trade members who I have met, um, I think one of the standout companies is Mr. Jones Watches. Mm, and, mm. Um, you know, here's this guy. Again, this this typifies what I believe is going on in British watchmaking. You've got somebody who's come from outside of the watch industry. Um, he had, uh, I hope I've got this right, he's uh, an art degree, art background, yeah. and a special interest in printing, which he's now, you know, used to a great advantage and he's created this remarkable business where they print their dials for their watches. I think last time I spoke to Crispin, I think he had 19 employees. Um, I follow him on Instagram and he's opened another store in London and he's created a huge success and interest and sales from all over the world. And I think that's, yeah, one of the sort of standout companies for yeah. me. Um, but also, I'm off to Dubai next week um, for a watch, Dubai Watch Week, and I'll be meeting um, Richard from Studio Underdog. And again, yeah, I know we mentioned him before, but again, somebody who's come outside of the watch industry and is really taking watchmaking by storm. And he's got really some really brilliant ideas um, in terms of design and the whole story is different and it, to me I think what's coming across from all of these different trade trade members is they are all different they all have a unique story they all have a unique reason for getting into watchmaking and that is to the British watchmaking scenes benefit you know, this this real diversity of companies which are coming to the stage. And that, for me, is the most exciting part. That is incredibly valuable to hear because our listeners will, I think, be very impressed that you picked two brands. And they're very different brands in themselves, of course. Like, as, you, as you say with, uh, with Mr. Jones, it's very much artistically led. And yep. the watch is used as a canvas for artistic expression before almost 
it's used as a watch. It's amazing how he's managed to integrate the displays to be so dynamic. And yes, it, yeah, I, I, I love the uh, lazy afternoon. What's it called? Perfectly useless yeah. afternoon. That's a watch. <laughs> yes. that's, that's a, it's a classic. It's a funny thing to say for a watch that retails at 245 euros. I'm sorry, I'm in Germany, so forgive my bias there. But it's just, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun for yeah. not much money at all. But it's it's well branded, top to bottom. He's got other merchandise that perfectly aligns with his vision and his concept. And then you've got Rich, who has disrupted the industry without being one of those brands that claims they're a disruptor. He didn't come in to do it that way. And in, in many ways, he admits this now all the time, that his ignorance was his strength. He just kind of said, well, what would I do if I was going to design a watch? Oh, I'm going to design it this way. Finally, I've got free reign to do my own thing. Because of course, he designed watches for other companies before. But launching that, capturing people's imagination, giving them something to smile about for an incredible price with a mechanical movement was a, a superb move. And you know, the funny thing is, his follow-up piece that everybody was anticipating for quite some time now has recently dropped and he communicated directly as he does that he had 2,428 pre-orders and this obviously caught fire in the network. And we were talking about it like, wow, he's absolutely smashed it. He's written the perfect second album. But the question was, what's the difference now? Because I, I was sort of worried. I thought, oh, can he do it? Can he step away from that and do, let's face it, a couple of those watches, the black and the white, particularly a, a very conservative in comparison to the watermelon piece that is his icon already but all the feedback i've heard from everybody that's seen the the working prototypes in hand is how extremely notable the quality is at the yeah. sub 1000 euro bracket and the design is clever it has these little quirks that mark it as original and uh, kind of thing that is simultaneously timeless but also stimulating to look at so a couple of good choices. And you did also mention, and we'll make a podcast host out of you yet, the event that's coming up in March. That's going to be an excellent segue. After, <laughs> after Mike's given us a couple of brands that he has similar soft spots for within the Alliance. Well, I mean, I, I would definitely have um, gone for the two that uh, the Roger mentions as well. Um, you know, really brilliant examples of, uh, of, of what's possible. In addition, um, um, I'm, impressed with um people like fears and what nicholas has done there to sort of relaunch uh, and bring back to life uh, a brand from from the past in bristol um with fears um and you know move from uh, early days um doing quartz watches through to you know very very high quality sort of mechanical watches now um I think Fair are doing a really great job in terms of um, bringing that freshness of color palette to watches. And I do, I do actually think, I think independent brands generally, and I think you and I have spoken about this before, Rob, but independent brands generally um, are bringing a different viewpoint to, to what's possible and what can be done with, with watch design. And I think the Brits within that are, um, are also, um, demonstrating some leadership you know as you as you rightly say you know richard has um, at studio underdog has 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 shown you know real sort of um excellence of design leadership uh, in terms of what he's done not just color but design leadership and i know that's his background um i think fair have done something similar 
Um, I also, there are some lovely stories like Sidereus um, in Ireland, um, you know, just a, a, a lovely narrative of how um, something completely outside of watches led to, led to a watch brand being launched. So wherever you look, there are, as Roger says, there are stories and different reasons why and different narratives that have led people to create watches, but, and many not from originally from the watch industry, but there is, as we know, something about this industry. I mean, I'm not originally from the watch industry, as you know, but there's something about this industry that, that when you invest time in it, if you'll forgive the pun, it draws you in. It really draws you in. Um, and, um, and, you know, the fact that there is so much innovation um, occurring within this this island, I think, is to the credit of uh, to the credit of the brands uh, in the UK, and even people like you know, um, I think um, Roger mentioned Neil Duckworth, who who was his first employer. Um, I think Neil dines out on that quite regularly these days. Um, but um, it was the... it was all I could hear coming from his stand during. The- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Roger Smith, Roger Smith. I was like, is Roger here? And he's like, no, it's just Neil. But you know, he's exactly. But you know, what a great story that is. You know, um, you know, having spent his entire life uh, to some extent on the other side of the fence, then quite late in life, deciding to to create his own brand. I mean, it's, to me, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, so there, there is space. Another word that Rogers used: the space for everybody. And uh, uh, you know, William Wood, um, you know, Johnny Garrett. Um, what a great job he's doing. And I can only see, you know, that. Uh, that brand uh, growing, um, you know, extensively in the future. So, and I think one of the things that we um, have, maybe we've been successful in doing maybe um, is, is showing people that um, these don't have to be just sort of small lifestyle businesses, that there is an opportunity to, to really make headway. Um, and if the Alliance is trying to do anything, it's, it's, it's trying to shine a light on, these great British brands and give them uh, a sense of belief that they can go on and become much, much bigger brands. Um, and we have something called project 1 billion, which is, you know, within the decade to, to, to have the sector in the UK um, being worth a billion pounds sterling. And, um, you know, at the moment it's probably uh, worth, you know, two tenths of that, um, but it's very fast growing. And, you know, when you're at that level, then other things can happen around it back to this cluster thing when 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 you know when and it will happen when this when this sector in the uk is worth a billion then that will encourage people to set up manufacturing um opportunities that the sector can draw upon so it's it's but the first task is is really to promote um what's going on here and shine a light on 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 you know, such an exciting sector have you considered just asking Roger to triple his output? Because that would really help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. What, what yeah, do you think, Roger? Yeah. Yes, um, yes, well, it, yes. Hardly a contribution to British watchmaking, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, thing, the other the thing is, Roger, how lucky are we? And he'll get embarrassed about this. I'm sorry, Roger, but... Yes, I'll you know, get embarrassed already. Because, you know, a more humble man you won't ever meet. Um, uh, and yet, you know, look at what he does. Um, but we are so lucky uh, as the sector in the UK to have Roger as the sort of 
um, you know, the leader. He's the chairman of the alliance, and he he's a you know a leader of it. And 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 to have somebody of that credibility, that that genius, if you like, um, that importance in the watch industry as our totem, um, I think has done more than anything to bring people together. And so uh, we owe a great deal of debt to him for that. You see, this is why we don't put the camera on Roger, so we can't yes. see. Yes, he'll be. I know. He, well, he will. He'll be. He'll be embarrassed, and he'll 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 he'll, he'll sort of bat it away. But it, it it just happens to be. It just happens to be true, Roger. Well, okay, Mark, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I but think... actually, I'm awesome. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> actually, really? actually, I think one of the good things, you know, I mean, I've learned a hell of a lot in these past three years with the alliance and. I remember when I was sort of really in the thick of it, trying to build my business, and I sort of felt that every other watchmaker in Britain should be doing exactly what I'm doing. And uh, the Alliance has been one of the biggest wake-up calls for me because I kind of now realise, you know, you can't build an industry out of people like me. You know, I mean, we make 18 watches a year. If you have 10 people, or, you know, 100 people doing what I'm doing, there's still going to be very few watches and that is not going to contribute to a great future in British watchmaking. So, um, you know, we need, you know, the industry is what it is today. We are a nation that is reliant upon other watchmaking nations to create our watches. That's the reality. Yeah, this is why we're doing what we're doing now with the Alliance to try and promote that and we've got to be proud of that. And um, what us Brits are very good at is 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 design and creativity, and we are still able to create some very very unique and fascinating watches um, in the current situation. And I think that's to be applauded, really. Absolutely, and I think that the key thing is the thing perhaps that differentiates British watchmaking and especially the alliance with with you both at its head. It's the fact that it's so credible. You're leading by example. It isn't, mm. uh, you know, you're not trying to hide from anything. You're approaching everything head on, every challenge, and pulling all these brands together to give other people a chance to see exactly what the British can do when they put their heads together. And Ireland, of course, Britain and Ireland, because mm. Sidereus is in, in the clique also. Now, talking mm. of this clique and this, this incredible assembly of brands that you have, the event. This is the last point. We're just going to talk about it in March. We're going to get everybody that listens to the show to come along. Hopefully it's on March the 9th. Am I correct? Is that Saturday, right? March the 9th. Yep. So uh, Mike, tell us where it is and what we can expect when we come along. It's at a magnificent venue um, called Lindley Hall, which is in Westminster. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful hall with a vaulted glass ceiling. And one of the, key reasons we uh we went for that hall is we wanted a a venue that um spoke of the quality um of of what british watchmaking is all about and also um was a venue that the um the exhibitors would really welcome in terms of being able to present their their wares to the to the best possible advantage often what shows are in sort of not dingy but low ceilinged hotels with not the perfect lighting and uh, this is the the antithesis of that it's a, a fantastic sort of um, venue and um, we're very 
pleased that um, it, we've got it. It's British Watchmakers Day, and I suppose one of the one of the really exciting elements of it, which was brought to as an idea that Alistair Audsley, our the chief executive of the alliance, came up with, um, based on and based around Independent Record Shop Day in the UK, which has become a huge thing, where you know bands, British bands particularly, um, you know, produce albums that are just going to be sold in independent record stores on one single day, and uh, you can see queues going for you know half a mile around uh, around the blocks uh in these uh, sort of independent record shops which are, i'm pleased to say as a vinyl man um are uh, are increasingly um coming back which is which is great news um what we've encouraged people to do the brands to do is to think about creating limited edition watches just to be sold at the event um and um I'm pleased to say I'm not entirely sure, Roger, what the latest number is, but there we're into double double figures of watch brands uh, who are going to do that. I heard 22. I How many, Roger? 22, I thought. Wow, God, that's incredible. Yeah. So there are going to be 22. I think there are, we've got 80, 80, um, three brands in the uh, – 87 now in the alliance. More than – close to 50 will be – showing at the show so 50 british brands at the show um and as rogers just said 22 of those will be presenting limited editions they've they've created just for the show including um roger is is doing a a series one roger aren't you Mm, that's right yeah um which is it's Alistair described it to me as um, this would be the watch that uh, the series one watch that um, that you would design for yourself, which um, which I thought was a lovely way of lovely way of doing it of uh, of describing it. Um, but you know we'll be producing ten special bel cantos, um, and I know you know people like Fears, Studio Underdog, I think um, William Wood, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, are, are creating special edition watches limited edition watches and i i just think the the excitement around that is going to be extraordinary so, so much so that we are we've recently had discussions about how we how we meet 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 them out during the course of the day so that you don't uh, the first you know x hundred people um don't um, snaffle them all up um so uh, we you know I think the demand and the interest is going to be extraordinary. It um, could be bedlam, I guess, because I mean, even if you drip feed them throughout the day, if there's yeah. like a, unless it's totally random, which would probably cause a stampede whenever a new one. Was <laughs> yeah, be exactly. A, yeah, a queue at every every uh, booth. If there's like one released every hour or mm. two, or depending on how many they produce, it's, it, I can't wait to find out what you decide upon because I can't really wrap my head around that issue myself. Yeah, but how I, do people get tickets if they want to come? The first thing to do is if you're not already a member of the uh, the alliance, then join because um, you'll get um, your preferential uh, treatments. You'll get um, access to tickets earlier, etc. Um, so um, for the for for not much more than a subscription to a mag- an annual subscription to a magazine, and by the way, you get a free. Uh, annual subscription to a magazine as part of the deal so why wouldn't you join up um people can join the alliance and um you know get access to tickets for the show and then once they have um once they have been um uh, provided uh, they'll go on open sale um but you know we're hoping that um, many many people will uh, 
take advantage of this op- great opportunity and join the alliance. Um, because as well as trade members, we were open to um, to club members, and we have many hundreds now across the world. I think Roger, we've got uh, like forty percent of the membership are in are in the United States. I think is that right? I think so. Something yeah. like that. Yes. Yes. So, you know, it, it genuinely is uh, of interest across the world. Uh, it's an amazing, you know, there's a whole host of benefits for joining as a club member, um, including, you know, access to limited edition watches generally. We we launched uh, the Alliance 01 limited edition, uh, which was a collaboration between Fears and ourselves um, earlier this year. It, we produced 50 watches using, um, which was a Fears watch designed by our designers and and Nicholas, um, but using our jumping hour movement. And we produced 50 of them. They sold out within three minutes. And all of the proceeds, all of the profits from that went to uh, went to the Alliance, which is a non-for-profit organization. So, um, and any, any, any um, uh, benefits we get from the um, uh, British Watchmakers Day will also go to, to supporting uh, the work of the Alliance. So it's a, it's a great thing to be involved in. I think it's going to be an amazing day and we'll set, I hope, a new benchmark for the way in which these sorts of events can, can be run. And indeed, it's, it's ironic, Roger, really, isn't it? That I mean, we, this, may be, this may be hubristic as well, by the way. This may, you know, if, it, <laughs> if, it, if it's a disaster, then <laughs> I, 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 I'll be blamed um, having, for having said this. But it's almost ironic to me that... When Roger and I met, I think it was in uh, 2018, Roger, yeah. at the last Salon QP. And it was, we were so, I think, disenchanted with what was that particular show, weren't we? Mm, it was, definitely. it just felt like it was the end of an era. And yeah. yet we were aware, as Roger said earlier, that there was so much positivity to be expressed about what was going on in our industry in our country and that's what gave vent to the alliance and 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 the the british watchmakers day i think is is hopefully going to be the sort of antithesis of that uh, that show in 2018 and show and demonstrate how far the industry has come in that time well if you want to join you need to go to www.britishwatchmakers.com you can sign up by clicking the little link in the top right hand corner and i think after that little expose you're probably going to get quite a few new members because i'm going to sign up not already good man sorry good man yeah (laughs) and and a a shout out to all watchmakers uh across the world actually um they 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 get um you know people students um student watchmakers that is um they get um free um membership so anybody who who is learning their watchmaking trade at the moment can join free free of charge completely Well, we have a few of those in the network and I'm sure they'll be pleased to hear that. Guys, thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating chat and I really enjoyed getting your insights to the Alliance and its goals. If any of our listeners have any questions for Roger or Mike, then please do get in touch. You can do so via contacting us on Instagram at therealtime.show or via our personal accounts, either Rob Nudds or Alan Ben-Joseph, R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S, A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H via email, either Rob or Alon at therealtime.show or via the contact form on the website, www.therealtime.show. We'll be back soon with more top quality watch content. Until then, Stay safe and keep on ticking.